morning, church. Psalm 133 declares, Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And I, I feel that this morning, every Sunday. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Marwan, and I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And I say this every week, but it is true every week. It is a joy to gather together with you on Sunday mornings. Uh, I am regularly in awe at what the Lord has done and is doing here in our church. Now, many of you don't know this, but this church started off as a Bible study in our home back in 2017. I do remember that first night there was two people who showed up. I was expecting a lot more. Uh, there's lots of ups and downs and, and exciting times. Uh, we were just really a few people who got together as I taught through the book of Ephesians. And the group grew, and in the Lord's time, we planted this church. Now, if you come to the Membership Matters class after the service, you'll hear a bit more about our history uh, as a church and what the Lord has done, and of course, a lot more things about membership and why we practice church and community the way that we do. But, but I remember at the same time that we had that Bible study, back in 2017, lasted for 10 months or so, I was also going to an atheist discussion group. Don't worry, I'm not an atheist. Uh, I, I read the group description, uh, and there was nothing that prevented me from, from joining the group. There were lots of good discussions, and I remember uh, having good conversations then, and even have kept in touch with several people from the group. But I'll always remember... Uh, the first time I went to one of these meetups, uh, it was at the Starbucks in Hamra, down, down uh, in the basement area. Uh, the night began with everyone going around and sharing their name, what they do for a living, and, and what they're looking for in the group. And there are two things that I'll never forget. Uh, the first was how everyone looked at me at this atheist discussion group when I introduced myself as a Christian. Hello, my name is Marwan. I'm a Christian. I'm here working to try to see a church started in the city. I mean, eyes wide open. No one expected those words to be spoken at this group, and it was, I admit, it was fun for me to kind of surprise everyone there. But I'll also remember that every single person in that group, as they introduced themselves, said that they were looking and joining this group because they wanted a community and a people to belong to. That's why they were there. Now, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't shocked. I was reminded that everyone needs and longs for friendship and community. It's not an issue of culture or race or religion. There is a deep sense in every person to find belonging and to be in community. Now, the Bible, as we'll consider this morning, has a lot to say about community and our need for community. And for our time today... What I want to do is to consider together that there is no community as special and as important as the church. Now, as you know, for the month of September, I'm preaching on the vision and mission of our church. It's a series, a four-part series. And my hope is that it will serve as an introduction both to our church, but also as a charge, as, as, a, as an encouragement to you, a reminder to you and to us about the things that we want to prioritize as a church. And that together we will grow in our love and our knowledge of Christ and also grow in our efforts to not only know him more, but to make him known. Now, if you remember, our first phrase was about God. I think it's up there. Glorify God. Right? We considered 
that he is glorious and that he deserves glory. And I highlighted that our role as Christians and as a church is to reflect his glory. Right? Just as the moon reflects the glory of the sun, the church reflects the glory of the Son of God. Now, I ended the sermon last week with a bit of a transition to the rest of the series. I, I said that a, a church that glorifies God is one that loves him and loves what he loves. But what, what, what does God love? I pointed out three things that we'll consider over the next three weeks. God loves the church. God loves the lost. And God loves his son. And this morning, as we continue through our phrase, glorify God in community for the city, through the gospel, we're going to take a look at the role of the church in glorifying God. We want to consider what it means to glorify God in community. And to do that, we'll work through this sermon in three questions. I'll ask three questions to kind of guide this topic. Number one, if you're taking notes, what is the foundation of community? Number two, why is the church a special community? And number three, how do we bring glory to God through the community of the church? With that, friends, let's pray and ask for God's help in this time. Father, we thank you for the gift of the church. And we pray this morning, and we expect this morning that you will speak to us through your word. Father, help us to see Jesus as glorious and help us to see the church for what the church is. A vessel to grow deeper in community and to reflect your glory. Be with us this morning, Father. Help us uh, to not be distracted by the things that maybe have happened to us outside this church. Help us to see Christ. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. First question, what is the foundation of of community? It's a fair question, right? Uh, why is community even a thing? Now, to understand why it's important to God and for every person, we can go to the Trinity. And Serge and I didn't plan that he would highlight that book. We've been talking about the Trinity in our own conversations. Uh, but if you did want to read more about the Trinity, that is an excellent book. I think there's even a couple others in there that talks about the triune God. Friends, the Christian faith understands that there is one God and that he is triune. Not three gods, but that there is one God in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some, actually I I would say most, underrate the doctrine of the Trinity, but it is essential to the Christian faith. It's, It's vital to our lives in many ways, but again, today we're focusing on community, so we'll consider how the Trinity speaks to our need and the foundation of community. Again, as we read God's word, we understand that God has always existed in community and has always existed as the triune God. There there was never a time when it was just God the Father without the Son or, or the Father and Son and then a later time the Holy Spirit came out. Everyone noticed that the light just kind of dimmed a bit. I noticed all your eyes. I'm looking around. All the lights are on, so it's just a cloud. cloud has covered the sun. If I was, you know, prepared, I would use that in some sort of sermon illustration. We'll see if it comes to me before the end of the sermon. All right, so, so the triune God has always existed as the triune God. In perfect harmony, perfect fellowship, perfect love. God had no needs and he still has no needs. And so when we consider his creation of all things, it wasn't because he was lacking in, 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 in any area. 
right? He wasn't lonely and bored, right? We know that God made all things as an overflow of his goodness and of his love. The Bible declares that God is love in 1 John and and other places. And that can't be true if God isn't triune. Think about it with me. A solitary God can't be love because love requires an object. Love has to be expressed. It has to be exchanged. Real love, as we consider, requires relationship, doesn't it? Right? Before God created anything, there was nothing. And if God wasn't triune, then he wouldn't know love, and he certainly couldn't be love. Listen to how one pastor says it. From eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been in community, in relationship. They have loved each other, and that loving relationship is bound up in the very nature of God himself. Understanding that God is triune and that creation was an overflow of God's love, we can say that community and relationships are necessary because God created us that way. Friends, your need for other people in your life isn't a sign of deficiency. It's not a sign of weakness or that you're being needy. No, your need for community is a sign of health. It's part of God's design. Now, being mindful of this deep need stirs up in my mind both a warning and an encouragement. This need for community, right? It's God-given. It's God-created. A warning and an encouragement comes to mind. The warning is because this is something we all long for and we all look for. and We need to be mindful that not all communities are the same. There are some groups and some communities that are not for you or not, don't have you in mind. Right? They don't think of your good, but they use your desire to belong, to manipulate you for their purposes. I often think of religion, unfortunately, but also I think of political groups. And I think there's a thousand different ones that know. Look at advertisements. Right? They call you, they know exactly what you're looking for, and they pull you into something. But it's not for you. So not all communities are the same. Now, because we want to belong, we'll find that we will sometimes compromise certain things in our lives that are important for us just for the sake of being a part of a community. And so be warned. Now, the encouragement is that you were made for people in your life. Sometimes, for different reasons, we pull away from community to figure things out on our own. You might be struggling with sin or you might have troubles in life, and you think, well, i got to fix those things before I can be part of the community of God. And so hear and listen this morning that you don't have to. People are in your life so that you don't have to go through the difficult and the scary times of life on your own. It's one of the joys and benefits of community. Sometimes we pull away from people when in reality what we need is to press into community. And so my encouragement to you is that you would press into this community of God's people here at City Bible Church. Now, why is the church a special community? There are lots of communities that we can belong to, and they all can be lovely in some ways. And so we ask, what is different about the church? What makes the church more special than any other group of people? Why 
is the church God's prized community? Big question. In an attempt to answer that question, let me tell you about washing rice. Washing rice. Uh, the, the first step when preparing a rice dish is to wash the rice. doesn't matter what rice you choose. I don't think you can go wrong with a long grain basmati, but that's my preference. Whatever rice you choose, it needs to be washed and should be washed. You don't soak it. You don't just rinse it. You need to wash it five or six times, minimum. Fill up your bowl or pot that you have with rice with water, enough to cover it completely. Swirl your hand in thoroughly, repeatedly, and drain. You repeat this process five to six times if you're doing it right. And you'll know that you're done when the water isn't cloudy anymore. Right? Then you're ready to cook. So, why is this important? Is it because that there can sometimes be small rocks or bugs in the rice? That, that might be part of it. Is it because rice uh, will cook and taste better once the starch is removed, or at least most of the starch is removed from the rice? That might be part of it. And so I, I ask myself, why do I wash my rice before I cook it? Because my mom said I need to. You see, my mother has the higher authority in the kitchen. What she says goes. I think that's, that's a universal rule. Mothers always have the right of authority in the kitchen because they're the ones who taught us, right? And so let's ask the question again. Why is the church God's chosen community? He said so. He's God. He has the higher authority in this area and really every single area. Now, as I'm preparing my notes, I'm fine with this answer. I'm happy just to go on to the next section, but, but I realize that that might not be deep enough of an answer just to say, well, God said it. It's not enough at least to establish the point, and so let's consider it further. The church should be regarded as important to Christians because of its importance to Christ. Let me say that again. The church should be regarded as important to Christians because of its importance to Christ. I'm going to just kind of rapid fire through some of these verses. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 tells us that Christ established the church. He founded the church himself. Acts chapter 9 verse 4 tells us that he purchased the church with his blood. In Ephesians and in Colossians and in 1 Corinthians, we're told that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapters 3 and chapter 6, Ephesians chapters 2 through 4, we read that the church is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God's plan to evangelize this lost world is, is through the church. God's plan to grow you to maturity in Christ is in and through the local church. Friends, the church is God-ordained as the primary place of belonging in your life. Let me, let me encourage you with, with something here. Dear Christian, you were made for the church. Having friends that are believers is a wonderful thing, but that doesn't replace the church. Being part of a Bible study is great, but that's not the same thing as covenanting together in a local church. Enjoying nature and, and God's creation is lovely, 
But if you choose to do that on a Sunday morning, instead of gathering together with God's people, because to you it's all worship, you're mistaken. Now, now I, I don't have any of you in mind. If you, last Sunday you weren't here, I don't know that. If you're hiking, I don't know that. So I'm not highlighting you. Please, if you're feeling guilt, that's, we can talk, that's, I have no idea that you did that. I have not a single person in mind. I don't know if you've recently gone on a hike on Sunday or not. The example is to show that too often we think that we can worship God in the ways that we find best. And we think that it's fine to deviate from the Bible and to deviate from all of Christian history. But let me, let me tell you kindly and clearly that it's not. We don't determine our own path to God. If we do, and if we did, we wouldn't know God and we would never find God. It's clear when we read the Bible that the church is beloved by Christ and has a special importance to him. But why, other than its importance to Christ, which is it's pretty high reason for us, why is it important to the Christian? I think it's helpful for us to think about what brings people together into friendships generally and just communities in general. And from there, we can see how the church brings it even deeper. Now, if you consider what friendship is, uh, it's that there's something shared between two people or a group of people, right? There's something in common. And, and when that thing is no longer shared, there's no longer a basis for that friendship. It, it might sound a bit harsh, but it's true if you think about it. You can think of your colleagues and ex-coworkers. You guys were all friends, even though you had nothing maybe outside of work in common. You come together. There's something that brings you together. If you no longer work there, just not the same, is it? Think about your childhood friends. What brought you together is that you were in the same neighborhood or you were in the same classroom. And so you enjoyed the same types of activities as children. But when, when a friend moved away or, or went to a different school, whether them or yourself, that friendship, though it may remain to some capacity, is just not what it was, right? I trust I'm not the only one who's had that experience. If you've ever wondered how such close friendships can change, it's because that shared thing has changed. And I know that we've all felt those kinds of losses and the pain that comes with losing closeness of relationship. I trust that most of us, if not all of us, have connected with a friend from our childhood. Maybe we've kept in touch in social media so we kind of know what's happening we were very close as children, and somehow we connect again. But it's just not the same as when you were younger, right? There's still that history, there's still that desire, but that closeness and the connection isn't the same. And I don't know about you, but often those conversations usually aren't talking about what's happening now, but we reminisce. We remember, do you remember when we were kids? We used to wash rice together or, you know, whatever you did as children. I didn't do that. That's just uh, connecting to the, to the illustration, right? You think back about times and things that you used to enjoy together. But there's nothing happening currently, and so there's a change. It, it's been said that the very essence of friendship isn't to look at each other, but to look at something in common. You see, what makes a group of people a community is a shared experience. It can be true on a small scale or, or, or a larger scale. And the deeper or more intense that experience, the deeper and more intense that community is. 
Uh, some weaker com communities are those that gather around a common hobby or maybe joining together on the same sports team, enjoying the same music. If you go to a, a concert or a show, most of the people there won't know each other, but they feel a connection and share a sense of community. Why? Because they shared in that experience. Living in Beirut these past few years has given us all some shared experiences that connect us, right? We know the challenges that people face because we're facing them too. If you look tired early in the morning or in the middle of the morning or whenever it is, it's, I'm thinking you haven't slept very well. Maybe it's because of anxiety. Maybe it's because you have lots of things happening in your mind or maybe just because most of us don't have electricity and it's hot. Right? We, we share that experience. We know the challenges people face because we're facing them too. And so there's a connection with the people that we don't really know because we know that we have an experience in common. Now, some, some examples of stronger communities, again, in comparison to a sports team or a club or whatever it is, would be victims or survivors. Right? People who have gone into battle or to war together, they form strong bonds, don't they? The late Tim Keller says this about the deepest and most intense communities. Let me read this quote. It's a bit longer than I normally read. When Christians experience Christ's radical grace through repentance and faith, it becomes the most intense foundational event of our lives. When we meet someone from a sharply different culture, race, or social class, but who has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ through the gospel, we don't see the differences first because we are looking at someone who has been through the same life and death situation as we have. Since in Christ, we have spiritually died and been raised to new life. Friends, what can be more intense than dying and coming back to life as a new creation in Jesus? You see, the community of the church is grounded in eternity past. It will continue and be enjoyed for eternity to come. And in the present is united through a life and death Experience, Friends, there is no other community that can compare. And, and, and let's make sure to remember that this all goes back to love. Love within the Trinity overflowed to create a world and to create a people. That love is foundational in the, in the church because it was a loving sacrifice that created the church. Right? We are united to one another because we have experienced love from Jesus and we together look to Jesus and have a love for Jesus. Now, what I want us to consider in this last point is how God has designed love in the church to bring him glory. Let's think together about that last question. How do we bring glory to God through the community of the local church? How do we bring glory to God through the community of the local church? Look with me to John chapter 13. Verses 31 through 35. It's not in your bulletin, but it will be on the screens. Or you can, again, turn in your Bible. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had left, Jesus said, Now, excuse me, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, 
God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. On the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he tells his disciples that he will glorify God the Father by laying down his life. Jesus will lift up his Father by bringing himself down low to the point of death. And it's with this preface that Jesus gives this command about loving one another. Now, you might read this and you say, wait, this isn't a new command. This sounds very familiar to the great command, right? the greatest commandment. It sounds like the summary of the, new, of, the, of the Ten Commandments, right? And so loving one another isn't a new command. The newness of this command comes into there to love one another as Christ has loved them. Now, I'll develop this more in just a minute. But what I want you to notice is that our love for one another is what people will see. Our love for one another will declare to the world that we belong to Jesus, right? That we are his followers, that we are his disciples. Receiving Christ's love and reflecting Christ's love glorifies God. Look with me to Romans 15, verse 7. One verse towards the end of our sermon, but there's so much in it. Romans 15, verse 7. Paul writes, Therefore welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. It's simple to understand, but there's so much that we can dig out of it. Paul is telling the church in Rome that God is glorified. Right? God's glory is seen when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Where is it that Paul is saying that we can go to see God's glory? He's not suggesting that we go and watch a sunset, right, or, or to hike to see the great cedars of Lebanon. Right? Paul is saying that if you want to see the glory of God in a specific and in, in an intentional and in a most powerful way, go to church. Welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you. This is similar. That's why I wanted to read John 13. It's similar to the command that we just read, right? Love one another as I have loved you. Notice how the second part of the statement modifies the first. Right? So it's not just any kind of loving one another. It becomes deeper and more specific because of the second half. Love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. And so... Welcome one another, and, and, and here's the modifier, just as Christ has welcomed you. So, so this isn't just any kind of welcome. This isn't a Sunday morning greeting. Good morning. Welcome to church. Not to take away from the connection team. I think that's an uh, important part of welcoming people in. Right? It's a welcoming in like Christ has welcomed in. What does that mean? We'll find our answer in the cross of Christ. You see, the, the Bible is a story of, of a pursuing love, 
in the very beginning, humanity was in community with God, right? They enjoy the presence of God, and they were in perfect peace. But that community broke when we doubted God's word. We believed the word of another over the word of God. And that's how sin entered the world, and it ruined everything. It separated us from God, and, and, and the Bible describes all of humanity as God's enemies. It describes every single one of us uh, as being dead in our sins and in our trespasses. And the Bible is very clear that the punishment of this sin is an eternal death. But God, out of his goodness and out of his love, pursued us. God made a way for his punishment to be taken on by a substitute. A perfect sacrifice would be accepted and was needed, but there's no one who's good. There's no one who is perfect. And so God himself came down. It's incredible. It's something that's familiar to many of us, but if we pause and consider what God has done through his son Jesus, it is incredible. He bore our sin, and he took his own punishment upon himself. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus died as a sacrifice, right, as a substitute in the place of every person who would believe in him. And friend, let me, let me encourage you this morning, even, even more than encourage you, let me plead with you to believe. There is life for you in Jesus, but there is death everywhere else. There is rest for you in Jesus, but everywhere, everywhere else there is working to no end. Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, and by faith we too have died with him and have been brought to new life. If you've never trusted in Jesus as the only one who can save you, friend, you can do that now by putting your hope and your trust in your efforts, you lay down all your efforts, and you say, I believe that you've done enough. I believe, Christ, that you've done everything that needs to be done in order to bring me back into community, in order to bring me back into a right relationship with God and find rest for your soul. I wonder if you've ever noticed the red doors that you walk through to enter the church. Go ahead and turn around. Take a moment while I drink my water. Take a look at those red doors as, uh, as someone walks in. Uh, sorry to... You're, you're fine, Dilva. Nothing happened. That had nothing to do with you. It just was coincidental. Uh, we chose to follow an old Christian tradition and paint the doors red to remind us that we enter the church through the blood of Jesus. We come into the church through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, those big Oversized red doors are open wide for anyone to come. No matter where you came from, no matter what happened to you before you walked in, they symbolize that through the blood of Jesus, there is welcome and belonging for all who call upon his name. You see, Christ has welcomed us into his world by laying down his life and one of the most powerful ways we show our love for one another is by welcoming one another into our lives. 
right? There's certainly an aspect that we can consider about how we welcome someone in who's on the outside, but this text and Jesus' command in John 13 is talking about love for one another, not love for the world or love for the lost, but for other Christians. And we do that by saying, right, we say the world has told us to divide because of our race or because of what's happened in our history or our social status or whatever it might be. The world tells us to divide. But we claim and declare that in Christ we have unity and we have belonging. Because we are reconciled to Christ, we are also reconciled to one another. You see, our, our identity in Christ has now become our primary identity. Our culture is now not from whatever country we come from, whatever kind of food or music or language we speak, but our culture is one that's now founded on the gospel. And that's become our primary culture. And so this isn't about just superficial niceness, I welcome you, good morning, happy to have you here. It's an understanding that we have a deep and eternal connection and community. And friends, this, this spiritual reality is to be lived out and to be seen in this gathering. If our salvation and belief in Jesus doesn't work itself out towards love for one another, then the Bible puts a big question mark on your faith. It questions whether you are truly a believer if you don't have love for one another. And, and that's why Paul confronts Peter in Galatians chapter 2, as Emma read that passage for us, right? Peter was preaching a gospel of peace and a gospel of reconciliation, a gospel of salvation for all who would believe. And he enjoyed the fruits of that, that beautiful message, fellowship and meals with others. doesn't matter where your background is from, whether Jew or Gentile, but what happened? When all of a sudden these Jews came from Jerusalem, he started feeling afraid. What are they going to think of me? So he acted opposite to what the gospel declares. He brought division into what Christ has united. Again, all, all kinds of differences that the world will tell us to separate over. Different ethnicities, different cultures. But when we love one another, the world takes notice. The world looks at you and says, what's, what's this person from the Far East doing with someone in the Middle East and also having a meal with someone from the West? It's like the beginning of a joke. But then at the end you say, it's not a joke. This isn't a setup for a joke. This is the beauty of what Christ can do. It tears down the walls of separation. Friends, they'll look at our love for one another and they'll know that there has to be something greater than ourselves to have brought us together. And that's my prayer. That that's my prayer that we would be a church that would welcome one another and would love one another as Christ has welcomed and loved us. And that through this community, God would be glorified. Friends, we have shared an experience unlike any other. And so when we gather, we gather together around the work of Jesus. We encourage one another with the good news of Jesus, and together, as the author of Hebrews writes, we will live this life and run this race with our eyes. Again, remember, we are looking together at something. That's what brings us together. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. To him be all glory 
and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work on the cross. We thank you for not only uniting us to you and to God the Father, Lord, but that you brought unity and community amongst one another. Father, we, we do pray. We recognize that we do bring in our baggage and our challenges and our backgrounds and, and all these things. We bring in what the world has shown us to divide and we bring it into the church. And Father, we pray that you'd be gracious to us. Lord, that both for our good and ultimately for your glory, we would be a people that love one another as you have loved us. And that that would be attractive. That, that that appearance and that experience would draw people who don't know you to know you. 